to the Athletes for Justice podcast. I'm so glad you all are here today. Today, we get a chance to talk with nine-year NFL veteran, Justin Forsett. He's a pro bowler. He's an all-pro, but he's not just an all-pro in football, as you'll hear. He's an all-pro businessman, an all-pro father, an all-pro husband. He started a brand called Hustle Clean. He's appeared on Shark Tank. His brand has been in Walmart and Target all around the world. And he's been a huge advocate to step up for people in need whenever and wherever there's been a crisis. So thank you all so much for joining. I hope you'll like the podcast. Subscribe to this podcast, right? When you subscribe, it helps people learn more about who we are and what we do and make sure to share the Athletes for Justice podcast as well. I can't wait for y'all to hear this episode with me and Justin Forsett. Jay, man, thanks for coming on, man. No, I appreciate you having me, man. I'm excited. Absolutely. Uh, So a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Obviously, we're on the Athletes for Justice podcast. I think about you in business, right? Mm -hmm. A black man in business. You started a brand uh, in a lot lot of ways, a movement called Hustle Clean. You're on Shark Tank. You um, have been in Target, like your, your product has been everywhere. Uh, has there been any times where you felt that because of your race or whatever, there it's been like, man, like something's not right. Like um, wh- whether I'm not getting opportunities that I feel like I could be afforded. And obviously no one's sitting here saying, I'll oh, play the victim, but um, yeah. we know what it's like in some boardrooms and, and, uh, and some where people make decisions. What has that process been like for you? Man, it is, uh, you definitely see, you know, experience uh, different treatment because of the color of your skin uh, on the business side. Uh, I see it quite frequently, if I'm honest, especially on the fundraising. Uh, more, you know, you know, still less when they're here in 2021, still less than 2% of venture capital goes to uh, black owned businesses. Um, and if you think about venture capital as a whole and like, you know, billions and billions of dollars, trillions of dollars uh, passed around and uh, still uh, with all the great ideas and concepts of businesses that are led by minorities, still less than 2% uh, is going to uh, black and brown founders, which is, which is crazy. So on the front where you know, you're in the business, you're in a ballroom and you're pitching your company and you're trying to get people around uh, to support your vision, there's always kind of like this extension or moving of the goal, the goalpost right? That you just quite, you're not quite there, even though your metrics, the stats of like uh, um, amongst your competitors or people within your category space, historicals, you're there with the numbers, but there was just ah, something else like your experience. You never, you never done this before. Um, they just, you got to do more as a black owned business. And it's really hard for us. And you look at the, the space that I'm in, that's capital intensive, when you're going and you're in partnerships with the targets and the Walmarts of the world, you cross a ton of capital with those opportunity costs. So uh, a lot of us just don't make it because of that. And, uh, and even when people find out, because uh, most of my customers don't look like me. So when they find out when I show up to an event, you know, it's just, it's a different interaction. If, you know, I'm sitting there with my table, I'm at your kids, you soccer practice, like it's, it's like, you know, they'll go from every other table, but not my table. They won't come talk to me or engage with the uh, with my brand. Um, 
just because of that. So we've experienced a number of things, but it hasn't held us back. You know, thank God that uh, we've been able to still keep pushing and uh, moving uh, in spite of all those things. Hmm. I think about like, especially with, with, with young black kids, young black boys and girls, we say, okay, I want to be an NFL player or I want to be in basketball or whatever, but you've almost changed the game a little bit and saying, Hey, like what would, what would it look like to be in business? Um, you have a football background. Yeah. You obviously went to Cal, you played with Marshawn Lynch. Some of these guys are like your friends or your homies. Like when did that shift happen for you to say that there's more to my life than just X's and O's and, and shoulder pads and cleats. It was really, it really started happening while I was at Cal in college. You started seeing, because the rigors of the football field uh, um, and in the classroom, it was just, at de- every, it was a fight every day, whether it was going to be, you know, at the facility or it was going to be in the classroom. Like you had to be intentional about your effort and your time. And uh, so uh, really got you thinking about what the end was going to look like. But I got really serious my few years in the league. My first couple of years, I was cut uh, twice. So I was thinking about, okay, if the end ends, if the end comes, what am I going to do with my life? And uh, knew some of the things that like my skill sets, things that uh, I felt that like God gave me, my uh, ability to storytell, problem solve, uh, to motivate people, to inspire people and to build. And uh, it just really uh, pushed me into entrepreneurship. It was like something I want to do, create a legacy for uh, my family, even beyond uh, sports. Like, you know, I saw guys like Magic Johnson. I saw guys like Junior Bridgman. I saw guys like Michael Strahan that transitioned very well and could do it and use their sport as a stepping stool to the next chapter. And that's what I wanted to do. So tell me about 2014. The 2014 season, you were uh, selected to the Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. you you had a phenomenal season that's actually when you and I got a chance to really connect uh in Arizona at some different events but also through yeah. some mutual friends we threw a Super Bowl party together me you and Lecrae yeah. uh which was a blast um sure. I think sometimes like in the sporting world we've you know you know it's like I don't I will never get my opportunity like when will I get a chance you played behind Ray Rice for years when will I get a chance you've been at, you were some, some people's eyes, a journeyman, right. From one team to the next, right. Houston, Jacksonville. When will I get a chance? Um, Two questions. One, did it ever feel like, man, this isn't fair. Like I'm not getting a chance. (laughs) And then also what happened when you got that chance? Man, great questions. Um, There was definitely times where like, man, is it ever going to happen? But my mindset was always just like, stay prepared, be ready for when that time comes, because I'm not going to give up. You know, my opportunity may never come, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop, you know, my pursuit to like greatness and like to be recognized amongst my peers as one of the best. Like that, that was my goal. I was going to set my family up. So I felt like that. Yeah. After, you know, you know, 2014, that was my seventh year in the NFL. So, you know, I had been cut to that probably three times by that by that point in my my career and uh you know so when I got to 2013 I was in Jacksonville and that's why when we met at the event down in Arizona after that season man I didn't think I was going to be able to play football again again I was like man if I can't play for the Jaguars then who can I play for (laughs) uh you know uh I was in a place where 
I really got to a point where I was like, okay, it's time for the transition. I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stay in shape. Somebody give me a call, they'll, they'll give me a call. But I really felt that uh, greatness could not be compartmentalized. So I, like my pursuit, like it was not good enough for me just to be or wanting to be or desiring to be an all pro running back. Like I wanna be an all pro husband. I wanna be an all pro dad. I wanna be an all pro businessman. And so my, my pursuits pushed me that way. And so I was getting ready in 2014 to like transition into another phase of life. And I get a call from Baltimore and, uh, and they, you know, Gary Kubiak, who's my coach in Houston, stood on the table to get me there. And uh, yeah, ended up having the best season of my career, thrust into the limelight because of the Ray Rice situation and uh, made the most of it and ended up going to a Pro Bowl. There's so much you just said there. Two points I want to just like dig deeper. The Ray Rice situation. Mm -hmm. um, and then also you talk about being an all pro. I'll start with the second one. Um, uh -huh. You were an all pro on the football field, but you said something about you wanted to be an all pro dad, an all pro husband, yep. an all pro friend in a lot of ways. Yep. What changed in you or if anything, did anything change in you as you prepared like to transition before that opportunity came? Did you work harder? Did you think different? Like what, what was that change like? I mean, honestly, uh, being from a small town uh, and an undersized, you know, running back, uh, you know, at my position, I was, uh, you know, I have, I had kind of placed football and sport as an idol and I was trying to find my security in football. Like I won't be able to take care of my family unless football works out. And I got to a place, you know, where it was like a math equation for me. I knew I was going to make a team. I knew I was going to outwork you. I knew I was going to uh, outsmart uh, my competition. Like I was going to understand the game, the playbook. And people can trust me on a football field. I knew how to make teams and rosters. I, ha I had it down to a science. But I got to a place in Jacksonville where none of that mattered. And I had to find purpose and realize that my security was not something that was relied on football or my sport. So it was a point where I just had to let go. And there was this freedom in my mind of just like, man, I could be great at anything I put my mind to. Like God is just giving me football right now, but man, I could be, you know, uh, uh, you know, all pro businessman. I could be, you know, uh, a consultant. I could be a motivational speaker and I could be great and all pro at that. Uh, so I was kind of really uh, placing myself in a box. And it wasn't until I realized that boxes are for things, not people. So I can really become anything that I wanted to, to become. Um, and I just had to be free and just like, if, if I do get an opportunity again, if football works out for me again, I'm just going to live in it. Like knowing that I'm not going to place all my security in there. I know where my security comes from, it comes from God. And I'm going to just live fully in each moment. And, uh, yeah, that was like the really big changing point because my work ethic, everything else stayed the same. Hmm. You said boxes are for things, not people. I'm, I, I'm tweeting that. And I'm taking that from you. I'll tag you. <laughs> don't, I'm going to tag you. I'm going to tag you. Um, before we get to Ray Rock, because I want to talk, obviously want to talk about like that situation, but also sure. that Super Bowl party. So that oh, 2014 yeah. year. So it was me. So tell me about your relationship with Lecrae. Tell me about your relationship with uh, just even in business, but also just for those who are listening, 
Justin Lecrae and I threw a, we call it the super friends party. Our, our buddy Lucas, he actually texted me the other day. It was a four or five year anniversary. Maybe this <laughs> probably seven years now anniversary of the super oh, wow. friends party said businessmen, uh, business people. What was it like movie stars, millionaires, entrepreneurs, and entertainers, something like that. We yeah, wanted to provide yeah. a space where, you know, we all know, go to the Super Bowl and it's, you know, there's so many different kinds of parties. We said, what if there was a space where people could just be loved? Tell me about, uh, obviously your relationship with Lecrae, but also, um, just what, what that, what hosting parties for the Super Bowl and all these <laughs> kind of things. Like tell me what that looked like networking, all those things, man. Uh, one Lecrae is also a good friend of mine, developed a relationship with him back when, uh, she was probably, uh, in 2009, uh, 2010, uh, that time frame where he came out to Seattle to perform a concert. His DJ at the time, uh, God bless uh, DJ Fish, uh, at the time reached out and, and uh, said, man, why don't you come by the show, introduce you to everybody. And uh, that's how we met. He was my he was my favorite artist. So uh, got a chance to know him and build a relationship with there. And I mean, he, yeah, he's been down since. Like we've just been, you know, helping each other out, supporting one another. And uh, so, and even getting to, you know, fast forward to, 2014, being able to host the Super Bowl party. Uh, and I've been on flyers before for Super Bowl parties. You know how things pop up with your name and you don't even know. Like, no did, did no permission. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So technically, bro, I, I guess. I'm going to pause you real quick. I, got, I saw my name on a flyer, bro, at, at a Super Bowl, like, I don't know, 2011 or 12. It was in this, like, like a, not a track, but like something saying, oh, you know, these people follow Jesus. And I'm like, I didn't get permission. I don't know who y'all are talking about. I was so mad. But, but so go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so that 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 happens quite often, and I remember even my my rookie year, I was like hosting a party with Jamie Fox, and I didn't even know. Uh, but <laughs> but yes, it was really cool to meet you know some other people, businessmen, networking within that uh, like that Phoenix area, and people really around the country that were just kind of like minded, wanted to you know something a little more laid back, chill, uh, had a more of a family love vibe, and uh, Jordan. Uh, yeah, Jordan Sparks, Sparks was there. Was there. Yeah, we just had a lot of people just like within the community that we knew and built relationship over time. And so it was, it was, it was dope to do something like that. Hmm. So, so one of the questions I usually ask people on this podcast is the question of, of you know, what is justice or what does justice look like? A few years ago, about halfway through your NFL career, you were on a team with Ray Rice. And mm-hmm. if anyone remembers, that was the time where he essentially, uh, I mean, we can all go watch the video, but I mean, there was some evil i don't know a better way to say it that was done to mm-hmm. the time his girlfriend and since then they've been you know they're they're married now and living their life but take me back to that moment when you saw the video or when you heard the news you're in meeting rooms with ray yep. and even i want to preface it too i am on the nfl players association the you know the, one of the vice presidents the executive committee members and like what I came to understand is that the NFL PA's job is to protect the players. And so years ago, I saw the NFL come to this guy's defense, NFL PA come to this guy's defense to Ray Rice's defense. And at that moment, I'm like, guys, what about what's right versus what's wrong? Yeah. What about that? Where did that go? I'd love to hear, I just take me back to that moment, to that day, because people, you take, take me back there. It was crazy, man, because, you know, they brought me in because of that situation, 
right? That was, I was familiar with the scheme and the system with Gary Kubiak and his own, his own running scheme. And uh, I, I came in with Ray. We're both 2008 running back draft class. Uh, had a relationship with him, uh, you know, from a, from a distance. So when we got there, it was all love. Like, and, you know, we heard about the issue, but we didn't see the tape. And, uh, but knew Ray, knew of him and some of the stuff that he's done in the community, just upstanding individual. Everybody loves him out in the community, serving nothing, absolutely nothing in his past in the rec in his record that would say he would do something like this. So, you know, at that time it was just like, okay, supporting, supporting Ray, let him get back. You don't know, we don't know the details of what happened or what went down. Uh, so, you know, just being there from him, for him, uh, and his wife uh, during that time, uh, you know, because we'll go, my wife and I would go out, spend time with him and his house and, you know, hang out with the family. Uh, so just trying to love on them as much as we could. And uh, so when that tape comes out, I remember I was in my bedroom and I'm watching and I'm just like, oh my God, like, I, I didn't know it was this. You know, I didn't know, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't have any, because we didn't know the details. We just knew that there was some type of domestic dispute. Um, it was just, it was really tough to see as a man uh, with a wife and you just like, man, this, something has to be done. And of course we went through the processes like, okay, cause we, I, my wife and I had the relationship, have the relationship with him and his wife. So we're just like, okay, how can we be there for you guys as you, you know, try to, you know, mend things in the public eye? It's just like, okay, he's the justice needs to be had. And, uh, but they cannot already figure everything. They're working things out, you know, trying to uh, get, you know, make their family whole. They had a daughter at the time, you know, a young daughter at the time. So uh, we're just trying to like support them, point them and love them as much as we can, but also like, this is unacceptable behavior from any man, you know? So uh, it was an interesting dynamic of, you know, me trying to like, okay, let's make sure justice had, think something needs to be done. Uh, and whatever, whatever, whatever has been given to him, you know, previously is not enough, right? And then also uh, just to set precedent. And then also the other side of like, okay, how can we uplift his family? How can we, uh, point to his wife and his kids and uh, him and him. Uh, period. So as a as a believer, to say how can we support them as they're working things together? They're, like I said, they're living together. They're they're you know things are are well within their house. So uh, so it was an interesting time for me. Even though I, throughout that year we have have a strong relationship to this day. And uh, I mean, when I was going through, like I'm out there on the field playing on my way to a Pro Bowl, and I'm calling up Ray. And we're having conversations like, hey, man, like he's there. He's like, man, this is what you got to do. Like he's giving me, coaching me up on how do you handle, like you have issues with the coaches and things like that. Like this is what you can expect. He's pointing to me and I'm able to pour back to him and his family and my wife and even my dad. Like, like so, uh, so it was definitely an interesting time. Um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, it's interesting because a, a lot of times people are so set on you can call it cancel culture. You can uh -huh. talk it. You can call it like retributive justice. We had someone earlier on the podcast who was in prison for 27 years. And he talked about the difference between 
retributive justice versus restorative justice. Mm. Um, you know, the call it cancel culture, yeah. call it like lock them up, throw away the key. Or there's a different mindset of like, how do we restore? Right. How do we pour into him and his wife and his family? How do we continue to show him that not even him, anyone that you are more than your actions? Right. For me, that's a beautiful picture. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I was I mean, you spot on like what he did. Extremely wrong. You got to get there's some consequences that need to be had for that. But then also, how do we make sure this doesn't happen to again? How do we make sure him and his family are whole and feeling good and safe and all those things, uh, uh, you know, to restore uh, what has helped help restore what has been broken? And they were doing the necessary, uh, taking the necessary steps and, you know, uh, reaching out to folks. So uh, I was really impressed with how they handled it as a couple uh, because it was, I mean, they were under the, the limelight, you know, every day. It's a beautiful picture just coming alongside somebody and loving them through their storm, loving them through. Because you said it like, okay, let's say you just cast them off and do your own thing. Well, now, like, maybe he does it again, right? Maybe, you know what I mean? So, um, shower pill. Uh -huh, yeah. Shower pill. So, I would love for you to tell the story about shower pill, but more than anything, I know we only have a couple more minutes. I want to, I want to talk to you about how it always seems like athletes step up in crisis, right? Whether it's a, a hurricane or a tornado, or even in, in Texas, we're recording the last week of, of February and there's you know, storms and outages in Texas. Tell me about shower pill, but also tell me about what you did in Houston when there was some crisis. Okay. Yeah. So shower pill was our first hero product with hustle clean. It was uh, our disposable washcloth, antibacterial toilet that removes sweat, dirt, and body odor. And the term comes from the locker room, right? You know, uh, there's pills for everything essentially in the locker room, but no pills for a shower. So when a Can guy- we give a quick, let's, let's, let's take them in the locker room real quick. Yeah, so, let's do it. <laughs> so I just finished shower. I just finished, we just finished practice, right? Yep. Sweaty, hot, dirty. Yep. Um, I come in, I look around. I change real quick. I didn't get in the shower. I change real quick. What, what what's happening? What what are people saying? <laughs> you're taking a shower pill. Like you're deferring <laughs> your hygiene to a later time. <laughs> or now, usually, uh, you know, it's for a reason. Like you're short on time. You're going to go eat before meetings, or you got to go to, uh, uh, you know, a meeting. Uh, and you're late. You're running behind. So, and then sometimes if it's a Saturday practice where it's light, where it's just like I'm gonna just shower at home. But either way, you are filthy and you're putting on clean clothes and you're going to your next thing. And uh, that was the shower pill moment. And we realized uh, as a business uh, owners, me and my business partner, that that pain point not only dealt with athletes, but there were people out that, you know, were working a nine to five that fitness and health and wellness was a thing. And that was a priority to them. And they were wanted to go on their lunch break. They had to decide, well, am I going to use all that time to eat? Or am I going to use that time to work out and get, you get healthier, get fitter? Um, but showers weren't readily available. So I need something for this moment when I can't get in the shower. So that's where it was birthed and uh, kind of hit the ground running from there, from that pain point. Hmm. And then, it, and then we, I don't know if it was Hurricane Harvey. Harvey, uh, yeah. Harvey, right? So, I mean... Tell, tell us about that, because even even recently we're seeing just it 
part of the reason I started this podcast was that it just seems like athletes and justice always intertwine or always in the mm-hmm. same sentence for whatever reason. Maybe it's because you look at the NFL and 80% of the NFL is black players are black, or maybe you look at the WNBA talk about like a double minority black women and, women, yeah. you know, and so, um, but you stepped up, you did something different during hurricane Harvey to t- tell us about like what happened. Yeah, no, man. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, we're a mission driven company and purpose driven people. So like we want to make an impact that are that's way beyond PL statements and balance sheets and cash flow statements and those things that, how can we leave, how can we leave a lasting legacy of like impact and that's building relationships and helping people around us that are in need. And uh, so when there's a need and our product or our resources can be of help, we're going to show up. And we've did that with Houston at Hurricane Harvey when, you know, uh, flooded people are flooded out of their homes and people are dying and they're, they're packed into these shelters and stadiums and, uh, don't have like the basic necessities or essentials for life, like, you know, deodorant and uh, body wash and showers and things like that. So our product came in handy uh, and we raised capital, some money for uh, organizations in need and people in need. And we do the same thing. Like with Flint, Michigan, we were one of the first on the ground uh, uh, out in Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. We were there and now we're developing uh, some things right now with uh, with the, the storm here in, in Texas. Uh, with people without a power and water uh, to help and support uh, those in need. We're actually out in Uganda with John Hopkins Hospital uh, a couple of years ago uh, for wound care with our product. So it's been a lot of ways we've been able to serve and really impact lives. And that that is huge for us. It's a blessing. Mm. That's amazing. And I just think about like what it means to show up, what it means to stand in the gap, to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves to use your products, your goods, your services. I was a business, uh, you know, business honors major in college, got my MBA. And you think about all these things and you uh, think about like stakeholders, who are your stakeholders, right? And who are your shareholders? And I've always been a guy that said, I understand that business's job is to make money for their shareholders. But what about the stakeholders, the community members, the people who are affected by your product? You've done a phenomenal job of exemplifying what it looks like to be a mission-driven, passion-driven, people-driven business. Last question for you, mm-hmm. my guy. <laughs> <laughs> why is it that, like, what? and maybe it's more of a conversation, why is it that athletes always, it seems like athletes are the ones always stepping up in times of crisis? And yes, it's more than just athletes, I get it, but... Yeah. Like, I really am interested in knowing, like, why is that the case? I think just the influence and the platform that we have, uh, there's just been this uh, expectation um, from the athlete. Where, and this uh, level of accountability that we've had to meet that maybe some other, uh, you know, not even our justice uh, system or our political or politicians have have had to meet, but we've had to meet and step up uh, during times of crisis and have uh, you know the right things to say, and we have to have this uh, you know outstanding character um, during times of, of of trial. And I just think because people like from a young age they look up to us 
as athletes. A lot of people desire to be professional athletes and play sport. Like we're blessed to, to play a sport for a living. So they just look to us and we can, we influence the youth, uh, able to push people a certain way and, you know, right or wrong, that's kind of position that we've been in. If there's, if there was uh, uh, an athlete on here listening or somebody who sees issues going on in our country and doesn't know what to do, what would you tell them? Cause you've stepped up, right? You stepped yeah. up, right? I've stepped up. I've done stuff in Chicago and in Texas and Nigeria, you've stepped up. It seems like every crisis you're there. Um, what would you tell yeah. somebody listening? Like the athlete has to realize that they bring so much more value than what they're, what they can do on a, on a football field or in a stadium or an arena. Like it is such a, a privilege to do what we do. It's a shame to just use your time to uh, just better yourself. Like you have an opportunity to have impact and serve people in a way that will change lives. So if there's an opportunity that you can serve or help somebody, realize that you're not just helping in that moment, you're helping someone for a lifetime. Because that one moment could lead to, can change the trajectory of a life. If you step in and help in a youth sports athlete or a kid or a family in need, like a Warwick Dunn and what he's been doing and with the, you know, the single moms and giving them the single family homes, like to these, to these mothers from his pain, from his pain birthed a Deshaun Watson, you know, that moment of him giving back and serving and seeing a need created an opportunity for somebody like a Deshaun Watson. And those things are happening on a day. Not everybody's going to make it to an NFL or the NBA or, you know, be a professional athlete, but they're going to be, you know, an all pro doctor. They're going to make it, you know, uh, you know, all pro teacher or uh, librarian, whatever that profession is, they're going to go pro at, but you may have an input or impact in that life just from doing something that is fairly, very small, just serving and giving time or your resources, um, you know, just, yeah, to that young athlete, there's five ways to do something. Um, if it's, it's meaningful, meaningful to you, if it's like something you're passionate about, man, just little things will, can change the trajectory of our life. Well, Justin, I appreciate you, bro. You're, uh, a friend, you're like family, Angie and Ngazi are, uh, yeah. are close, obviously, but um, man, I love you. Love you too, bro, man. Thanks for having me. Y'all, I feel like this gets better and better every single week. Every time I get a chance to speak with some of these athletes, business leaders, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, I just get inspired. And so a couple notes from Justin Forsett. One thing he said, he said that greatness cannot be compartmentalized. That was huge for me. He also said that when talking about putting people in, in boxes, he said boxes are meant for things, not for people. Boxes are meant for things, not for people. Then lastly, what I love the most, he talked about being an all pro, not just in, in football. And in football, being an all pro is the highest honor. But he said, I want to be an all pro businessman. I want to be an all pro husband. I want to be an all pro father. And that was just a great reminder because for any of us, we don't have to just stick to our 
jobs or stick to our assumed roles, we can be an all pro in anything. We can be all pro advocates. We can be all pro allies. We can be all pro friends. We can be all pro mentors for people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who may not act like us, who may have grown up in a completely different environment than we did. Justin, thank you for your example, but also I want to thank you all for listening, for joining us on this journey of justice. It's been so much fun and I can't wait for the next episode. I, I really am having a blast with this and I hope you all are as well. So make sure to like this podcast, to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your family, and let's invite others to join this justice journey together. Oh, oh, oh.